Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week, we are looking at the theme of bias in Harry Potter. To get us started, we've got a quote. Yeah, this quote comes from the Chamber of Secrets, and it's towards the beginning of the book when Harry is in Flourish and Blots, and Mr. Malfoy and Mr. Weasley get into a fight, and after that, Hagrid is is talking to Harry about the Malfoys. Rotten to the core, the whole family. Everyone knows that. No Malfoys worth listening to. Bad blood, that's what it is. Hagrid, Hagrid, Hagrid. Oh, Hagrid. Such a great example. <laughs> I know, right? As a, a teacher at, at Hogwarts, it's it's a great thing to... To be fair, he's not a teacher yet, but he is still an adult. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the adult's bad, but like, it's you're going to be the teacher of one of those students, and this is your perspective, and you're trying to convince another student mm. of it. Mm, not great. Not, no. Not great at all. No. But I I think what's really interesting and and one of the reasons that I wanted to use this quote is because when people think about Hagrid, they don't necessarily think about that he is biased in certain ways. And I think that that's that's interesting and it it makes the world more complex. It's not just as, you know, serious, a great quote from him. The world isn't divided between good people and Death Eaters and... Mm. I think J.K. Rowling putting this into the story from characters that are on the quote-unquote good side is is important because we all do have biases, we all do have prejudices, and it's it's good to show that. And I think it's also, it's just, it's so interesting to have him saying this mm-hmm. before they even get to Hogwarts where this whole, I mean, so much of this entire book is about this idea of bad blood and Hagrid is actually the person who puts that into the conversation, but towards people that, you know, you'd be like, yeah, they're horrible, you know, and and then it's flipped towards someone like Hermione. You're like, what? This is wrong, you know? I mean, obviously it's all wrong, but um, uh, when you're a kid and reading it, it, it wasn't, at least to me, quite as obvious mm-hmm. that first time. Yeah, around. and I think that's one of the reasons I'm I'm really excited for this topic for Harry Potter because we mm. do see so many biases in the characters who are protagonists and family and mm-hmm. friends and I think that that's that is really important to for us to address because sometimes that's problematic but sometimes it is just this kind of complicated nuanced way of showing that these are also complex people and not only is that really a great point of this leading up to what you're going to experience in book two? But it also is really interesting coming from Hagrid, considering what happens in Mm -hmm. book four, where he is so pandered because of his own blood. And he is... And the Malfoys judge him for it. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. he he is using that exact same type of deterministic idea. People just are able to be written off. They are rotten based off of who Mm -hmm. they are based off of not the choices they make, although those are important too, but based off of their biology, their family. And that's just, uh, it's something that I think that the story as a whole often can disrupt, you know, right? Looking at, for mm-hmm. example, Regulus, but still, yeah. it's a trend that we see for, for many, many characters. Yeah, definitely. And I also think it's really interesting because in the next book, I, I had bookmarked a quote that 
Marge says, and and she used the same language. She says, if there's something rotten on the inside, there's nothing anyone can do. And yeah. she's obviously talking about Harry and, and his family. And that type of idea was already started earlier, but from a character that's much more seen in a good light. Absolutely. Well, that's a great start to the conversation, but let's move into the character segment. So what character did you bring today? I wanted to talk about Ron Weasley. Oh, yes. I was thinking a lot about him when I was uh, thinking about this episode, so I'm, I'm glad you chose this. Yeah. This red-headed, freckled boy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that he is the first character that came to mind for me and the one that I definitely wanted to explore most. And I think Ron is really interesting, not only for the journey that he goes through, which is, I think, so so crucial to his character, is that we see him confront the biases that he has and and in many ways move past them and, and, and overcome them. But mm-hmm. I think that he's also a really great example of some interesting elements of the world and the storytelling of Harry Potter. Because Ron comes from compared to the the Malfoys, would be like a liberal wizarding family. A family that believes in ideas of, you know, justice and equality and all these these types of things that are not (laughs) straight up robber barons and elitists that are just hoarding their wealth and and all these other types of things. And I love that you use the word liberal, not progressive, (laughs) because yes, they would be liberal. Oh, absolutely. And and in my notes, (laughs) liberal has quotation marks around it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. we see through his interactions with so many characters the established systemic hierarchies that exist within the wizarding world and how often different groups are perceived as other. Oftentimes we see that in, in most stark contrast with Muggleborns. We, they have a, sl- a slur used against Muggleborns, and that, that te- I think is where it becomes most explicit. But we also see it in these other areas that, that we've talked about a lot on the show, and I'll just kind of briefly go through some of the ones that, that Ron engages in. So he, he <laughs> talks down to Muggles, even though his family is literally obsessed with them, calling... <laughs> or his mu- dad is, at least. Yeah, but, but calling Muggle doctors, uh, like, quacks, basically, and... He, or nutters, I think. Nutters, yeah, that's 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 exactly the word, right? So so there's that. There's the obvious distaste for Slytherins, where as much as the Slytherins can be jerks in these books, Ron comes with a idea of I would hate to be put in Slytherin. And then non-humans as well. Everything from his his acceptance of the sla- enslavement of house elves to the way that he reacts to the news of Hagrid's parentage or the fact that Lupin yeah. is a werewolf. And yeah, that was something that I, this past time reading through, I remember just it's screaming out at me more than in the past where mm-hmm. it's like literally a couple seconds after Ron finds out that Lupin's a werewolf. And this is, you know, Professor Lupin, you know, and and his favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. They finally got a good one. And then, like, a couple seconds after he finds out, you know, he yells at him, get away from me, werewolf. Like, he he doesn't use his name anymore. He, He uses this label. And now he's boiling everything down to that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and so I think that we're seeing how 
all of these communities are are being treated as other and so much of the biases that ron portrays as as i think the best example of typical wizard for for harry's perspective comes from the fact that wizards tend not to interact with those who are not like them mm-hmm. and we see this this frankly conservative trend in the wizarding world which is to consolidate which is to try to maintain normalcy and not to accept difference and not to accept change or progress or or anything else in these different ways and and to, to kind of back away from prospects of being open to other experiences. I think that, uh, you know, this this can even be seen with international communities, frankly. I, one of the things that kind of struck me when I was thinking about this was the, the ban on magic carpets in England. And it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Why can you have brooms without magic carpets, right? This this, right. this seems like it's, it's racialized because it's coming from, mm-hmm. you know, these discussions with other foreign leaders who utilize them and, and all this other stuff. And, and so even within the... The UK the, would ban that. Yeah, totally. But so even within the magical community in the UK, you see this. Are this they kind of uh, brooms it? Brooms it. Yeah, they brooms it away from the EU. <laughs> 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 so so yeah, I just I think that Ron is a great example of this 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 really conservative trend within the Wizarding World. This this idea that even those families like the Weasleys who are this yeah kind of liberal paragon of of at least being compassionate and good-hearted and and believing in equality on paper they still live in and at times implicitly uphold the systems of oppression and certainly difference that come with these these types of othering that exist throughout the world yeah yeah absolutely and like even i think yeah, it's in the it's in the Philosopher's Stone, right? Where he's like, "Oh yeah, I have an uncle who's an accountant, but we never talk about him." Yeah, it's just like, why? Your your dad would actually be able to get a lot of his questions answered about Muggles, and not wear such ridiculous combinations of clothes when he has to go through <laughs> London and whatnot. If he actually, you know, spent time with his whoever however the relation is but yeah no they don't talk about him and you bringing up the the clothes part is actually really interesting i didn't think about this before but i'm starting to wonder if perhaps in the books when they have these othering biases that oftentimes they're portrayed as not oppressive or mean-spirited or malevolent in any way but just foolish and whether that in of itself downplays the seriousness of these this type of othering mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. just a, a question that i have uh kind of, maybe, yeah, maybe that's I, interesting. I should have kept that for for my takeaway maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting because unlike the the malfoys the weasleys don't have prejudice in a way that they're malicious about it or want some sort of like caste system or genocidal mm-hmm program or something but it's more like oh your culture's so interesting that's so exotic that's so foreign you know Absolutely. in this like ooh, i want to be like a muggle tourist but like mm. not actually understand what's going on or like not want real relationships with people um and like learning culture through that 
it's like, ooh, I'll collect their items rather than like actually have relationships and use their items with them, you know? Or like the Weasley twins, you're like, oh, we have an opportunity to like try out our candy on this like unsuspecting muggle who, yes, has been a bully to Harry, but still Mm -hmm. is a child. (laughs) And let's just torment him, you know, with our, our magical abilities. So... Uh, it's more like, ooh, let's see what will happen. It's an experiment, not like these are real people. Absolutely. And 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 even Mr. Weasley's ignorance about how the Dursleys will react to that being traveling by flu is, I think, <laughs> yeah. at that point, it's willful ignorance. It is inconsiderate to not think about how these people are. You, you literally have a car that you made fly you understand how muggle transportation works at least in theory like you know the the idea that you didn't even think through how might they engage with this decision is is in of itself i think uh really telling or how they're gonna react when you blow up their fireplace and living room also that yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't think anyone would react well (laughs) least of all the dursleys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, at least they're british <laughs> they're not gonna like take out a baseball bat or a gun if you live in the u.s <laughs> well what plot did you want to talk about yeah so i wanted to talk about plots that kind of surround or are furthered or are contributed to through the word which you mentioned before the slur mudblood hmm it's such an, an important thing that is enters the scene in Chamber of Secrets. But, you know, in The Philosopher's Stone, Harry just like enters the magical world and it's an exciting thing. It's a relief because he finally finds love and kindness and a place where he can belong more in, in certain ways and things seem rather good. I mean, obviously, then there's... Voldemort trying to come back and all of that but in terms of just his life at Hogwarts and and Mm. how he's seeing things but then the term mudblood enters the scene in Chamber of Secrets and it's clear that things aren't as rosy in the magical world as Harry initially experienced and I think it's interesting because not only is that so real of an experience if you travel to another place maybe you even live there for you know a semester abroad or whatever it is you know so many things are exciting and new and you get to learn different things and new cultural aspects and then i mean it's after time that you start seeing more of the problems i mean Mm -hmm. maybe now at our age we would see them quite quickly but when you're 11 you know it's it's not gonna be like that and so and you're literally figuring out that that you can do magic (laughs) yeah exciting times (laughs) i can understand why you would be you wouldn't be as focused on the horrors of the world when (laughs) you're turning teacups into mice and stuff exactly but also i think that's the case too for harry because he's privileged in a certain way Mm. We see that Hermione has such trouble making friends, and we assume, or Harry kind of assumes, it's because she's annoying, right? That she's a know-it-all, and 
you know, correcting people and those types of things, which sure, that can turn people off for sure. Mm -hmm. But were there other aspects at play there that other people didn't want to be her friend because she was muggle-born or because, you know, she was black if you read her that mm. way. And and so I think there are other things that Harry was just oblivious to, but then obviously when a slur is used at his friend, it, it's brought to his attention and it's um, enraging, mm-hmm. which, which it should be. And to me, it's just so fitting for this slur to be brought in in the Chamber of Secrets because the whole book is basically about a monster that's living beneath the surface the whole time but Mm. it's like kind of finally rearing its ugly head again and i feel like that kind of mirrors a lot of societies what they're going through right now with you know extremists and almost fascist leaders like just spewing hate and misinformation and either supporting violence against those who disagree with them or at least not condemning it and Mm -hmm. you know racism misogyny xenophobia uh, ableism all of these things you know they've always been there (laughs) and just like the yeah anti-muggle prejudice has always been there it seems but those who have those more bigoted ideals during Chamber of Secrets, like they start feeling more emboldened to speak out and to actually say these things where it was a little bit more of a taboo before, Mm. even if they still held those perspectives. And, you know, Draco is there yelling, you'll be next, mudbloods after the chamber's opened, right? He didn't say anything that word didn't even come into play, even though they had problems in in the philosopher's stone but it's only once the chamber is opened and this is written on the wall that he feels emboldened to to use this word and which he also gets no punishment for what do you mean i mean it's hogwarts (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you're you're absolutely right that's such a such a great great framing for that and and yeah i think that that's that's so so on on the mark Well, yeah, and I think it's really interesting, too, because it's, like, after that terrorizing of everyone at Hogwarts is basically allowed to continue for months and months, Mm -hmm. and Muggleborns kept being attacked, and there were no no repercussions, or closing of the school, or whatever it would be. Then, a little over a year later, since it's the summer before fourth year... The Death Eaters and Death Eater sympathizers, supporters, or whatnot are emboldened to come out in the open at the Mm. World Cup. You see this kind of movement growing, and then finally in the last book, you see legal action actually taken against Muggleborns with the Muggleborn Registration Commission. So yeah, I thought when I was thinking about it that it, it was done very well in how it starts out, and you just don't see this this whole social issue and then it slowly grows and the movement gets bigger and people feel more emboldened to act on their bigoted perspectives Mm. yeah yeah that's really really interesting i think you're pointing to a lot of great thematic and and kind of less uh less explicit currents that you see there in the narrative and and it's even making me think now you mentioned the 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 nativist death eater demonstration in uh and terrorizing at the world cup and and i wonder how much that was nativist how much that was there are now all these foreign wizards here in england and we need Mm. to to show a show of force and how how that's tied together because as we see around the world now and certainly here in the united states 
those types of backlash to threats of loss of privilege or or loss of status as the mostly white male type of hierarchy can often lead to that kind of violent backlash yeah yeah absolutely another interesting point but i think also another thing that the book does really well is i mean it shows this terrible bigoted movement and then the prejudice that is the center of that but i think it also does a good job of showing that most people in the magical world have some level of prejudice against muggles. Mm. It pervades the society and people are socialized to think that way, just like people are with sexism, racism, ableism, etc. So again, opening of the series, you have McGonagall say, you know, they're the worst sorts of muggles. Mm. And in Prisoner of Azkaban, the Stan Shumpike, you know, when Harry's asking about why muggles don't hear the night bus and he's saying like them, he says contemptuously, don't listen properly, do they? They never notice anything. And he's just like, he's saying this with contempt. Also, in in Prisoner of Azkaban, Hagrid says when a wizard goes over to the dark side, there's nothing and no one that matters to them anymore, Hmm. which is just so blatantly untrue. Like in, obviously, the last book, (laughs) Snape, Draco, Narcissa are all pivotal in Harry surviving and defeating Voldemort because of what they choose, and it's because of what matters to them. So you see things so pervasive with anti-muggle ideas but then you also see a bias going back towards those who have those perspectives and i understand that too (laughs) because i can be that way sometimes (laughs) so i think yeah i think that the books really do help show how complicated and messy it is but like how pervasive these things are but also i think something that i i really do love about the use of the the slurm mudblood in the books is how both dumbledore and snape won't tolerate it Mm. i mean obviously snape uses it in in his worst memory but in you know at the end of the book that's that's no longer true and you know Dumbledore is dying from poison and has been disarmed and there are Death Eaters in Hogwarts and book six and yet he still tells Draco don't use that word Mm. and Snape does the same to a portrait which you know, I don't even know if it's possible for a, a portrait to change its mind <laughs> since it's you know, painting. And, you know, I love how just not tolerating the slurs or the bigoted language is prioritized in moments when it would practically be a very low priority. Hmm. Yet still, the book is saying no these characters will not let it go without calling it out. Yeah, I think that's really powerful and really great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we should probably move on to our compelling questions. Yeah, so what do you have for me? Yeah, I was wondering where you see beauty and standards of beauty affecting biases in Harry Potter. Interesting. Well, I 
definitely would say J.K. Rowling does not do a good job with body shaming. Hmm. So you meet this family that's horrible and abusive and unimaginative and the ways in which they're described are all very animalistic. Hmm. So likening to a pig or isn't Mr. Drizzy like like into a walrus or something? And Mm. then Petunia has a, you know, a neck more like like a giraffe or her teeth are like a horse. And, you know, so it's very animalistic and it's very unflattering. I think the words and the ways that that is portrayed definitely is meant to make you like them even less. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and we could read it as this is how Harry sees them because they are so horrible to him and so disgusting and then this is his way of of thinking about them mm. because of that not that that's necessarily good but it, it could be a reading of it mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting because then there's Hermione who is such a fantastic character but she's not supposed to be stereotypically traditionally attractive mm. But that's that's not supposed to make you like her any less. Mm-hmm. So I think there there's weird messaging going on <laughs> <laughs> there. One of I mean Snape does some some bad things, and and one that really does stick out to me is when he makes such a mean comment to Hermione about her teeth when there was a elongating jinx mm-hmm. put on her and and. And who's like, oh, I didn't notice, you know, any difference. And, and that's just abusive to your student. And so it, it's definitely written about in ways that people notice. And it affects how people feel about themselves or how they feel about others. Then her teeth have been shrunk. And, you know, she quote unquote tames her hair or whatever. Then... People are shocked and astounded that she looks so pretty. And <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's it's seen that, that beauty does impact bias. Obviously, I think that's true towards Vila, mm. right? And how Fleur would potentially be treated differently than Hermione would. Mm-hmm. And then you have somebody like Moody, who... Mm has so many scars and you know had lost an eye and now has this magical eye and everything that really does put an intimidating air to his character and to how the students perceive him and so I think that's not necessarily seen in a a negative light but it it does have an impact Hmm. yeah I don't don't know but that's just what I'm thinking off the top of my head What, what are you thinking about yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of the points that, that came to me when I was thinking about this. And, and and I really see, like you said, this kind of, it's very different in ways that it's dealt with at times. Because I think that, that largely, anytime the characters are making an assumption based off of beauty, they have a bias based off of beauty, I think the narrative tends to undercut that and show that that is foolish and short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you brought up a lot of great examples. I, I think that Moody is, is maybe maybe the best one where he comes in and he's a scary figure who then becomes a kind of treasured mentor and then becomes a villain and then 
a new version a of it Death becomes Eater. yeah exactly and so i think that that one's really interesting but you can see the same the opposite version with lockhart where he is this <laughs> attractive person who then is shown to be extremely awful and the vila i think are, are a great example too because they're they're the only non-human species i can think of that have that amount of acceptance and mm-hmm. so much yeah. so that that Fleur's grandmother was a vila and I can't imagine, I mean, maybe France is different, but I can't imagine the English wizards being okay with any other half-wizard, half-non-human pairing, as we see with, with Hagrid, for example. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I think that there's some really interesting elements there where we see these these different ways that within the wizarding world, they, they make these assumptions that are often proven to be inaccurate i mean even tom riddle's a great example of that too where he is a charismatic attractive young man who's clearly also evil and genocidal and (laughs) that's not great yeah there's that (laughs) but he's so attractive (laughs) but you also hit on the head how jk rowling undercuts this through her own writing about characters and introduction to characters and the dursleys are a great example Umbridge is a good example where these are characters who are shown to be in in a less kind of disfigured and monstrous way as Moody, shown to be ugly or or mm-hmm. you know not meeting the traditional standards of beauty, and that is what makes them or that is, that is often part of the characterization of her writing, which as you mentioned is from Harry's perspective, but still tends to have this this really kind of frankly ugly way of of describing many of the characters which itself mm-hmm. can be extremely gendered which is is unfortunate yeah so yeah i just i think it's an, an interesting way of looking at frankly rolling's gender politics and goes back to this idea of this kind of uh liberal idea of equality and wanting to challenge ideas of beauty being seen as as virtuous and yet at the same time the implicit narrative sometimes features that as well. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I feel like so many of her the characters that she writes, in some ways, she writes about them in slightly negative ways in terms of their looks. Not all, but a lot. Mm. Like you know, Luna when he first is seeing her with those glasses on, doesn't it make her eyes look like? odd in some way and then there's Trelawney who's also glasses make her eyes look kind of almost like a bug or something and then you have Draco with his incredibly pointy face Mm. and then you have Harry with his hair everywhere and (laughs) Neville who I don't know isn't he described as like a roundish boy or Mm. something just like not the most flattering way to describe a person but how he's described versus how Dudley's described is very different right true true. so yeah it's it's very very interesting (laughs) um and then there's like Cedric who Mm, Cedric is pretty who Harry thinks is pretty and yeah Everyone is thinks also he's pretty. a nice person. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I mean, apparently it can happen. <laughs> In Harry Potter, it happened once. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, my my ultimate conclusion is just that I, I don't know if I have a, a firm argument I could make either way. I think that it's, it's really complicated, and that's why I thought it'd be interesting to talk about with you. Yeah, definitely in the next read-through is something I would be interested in looking at more. Totally. But what is your compelling question for me? So, I'm wondering... Since you've read the books, the whole, the whole series, the several times. Yes. I'm wondering if during any of your more recent read-throughs as an adult, have there been instances of bias or prejudice that have stood out to you in any way? Or maybe something that you didn't even notice when, when you were a kid and you read them? Hmm. Good question. One of the first ones that comes to mind... And, and harkens back to not only the gendered, but the racialized versions of, of beauty standards. I think it's Pansy Parkins' description of Angelina Johnson. Oh, God, it's so oh, bad. Yeah, which is just awful. Well, and I don't, I don't know if you actually want to say what it is in case our listeners don't. Yeah, I believe she, she describes her, her hair as looking like worms or something um, mm-hmm. about her, yeah. her dreads. And I think that that's just, I mean, I, not, I think that is awful. And so, which is what's really hard for me. Sorry, I'm now I'm just interrupting you. (laughs) Go ahead, please. So I've seen some like fan art of Hermione and Pansy in like a relationship, Mm, like as a queer couple, but Hermione as a black girl. And I'm just like, um, did you miss that incredibly (laughs) like anti-black racist? comment that she made about her hair like but i i I do think that that comment also it highlights the way that those type of comments especially with children often go like they're dismissed as just kids being kids just a joke just whatever and frankly when i was growing up i didn't see it that way myself and and i'm not saying that if someone had pointed out to me a a mostly white person and said, this is racist, I would have been like, that's not racist. But it just didn't occur to me at all. Mm-hmm. And so I can I can see how, how that goes goes through that. And, and maybe that's how Pansy might have seen it as well. Obviously, she does hang out with people who think that Muggleborns should all be killed or corralled. So I'm not exactly trying to give her the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. But I, I think that's she just... She was starting off strong. <laughs> to, to, give, to answer your question, that was a comment that, that definitely took me some time to kind of see and and understand as as being as awful as it is same here i think one that's been interesting to me maybe the last time or two is actually the bias against floor even me as a teenager i was kind of on board with the whole oh she's just literally only valued because of her beauty and Mm -hmm. it took me more recently to kind of rethink that and be like oh no she is a triwizard champion she is someone who earned yeah. her place in that way and, and was able to compete in these tasks. And sure, she usually got the lowest score and sometimes for nonsense reasons, but I think that... <laughs> the Grindylows. <laughs> I do think that I had to challenge my own kind of gendered biases of a character who's represented that way, who is represented as so defined by their looks and their beauty and the way that they're valued by men. And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that she goes through a change, especially in her relationship with Mrs. Weasley, as being more than that to Bill and as being more than that generally. I wish she, frankly, had more to do with her skills and with her 
magical abilities during the war and things like that too. But mm-hmm. I, I think that, that that's another one that, that definitely comes to mind. Yeah. Well, and I mean, just Jenny making a derisive comments about her and, you know, nicknaming her Phlegm and mm-hmm. stuff, right? That's at the very least making fun of her name and her language mm-hmm. and her accent, which making fun of somebody's accent is not acceptable in any way. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not that to say that Floor was perfect and it seemed like mm-hmm. maybe in some ways, I mean, grew up in a different class and, mm-hmm. um, and there's privileges that come from that. But it also, she was never like, oh, no, let's not have the wedding here because your house is an eyesore and we need to go have it at my, you know, really nice fancy place in Paris or whatever. Mm. I don't know if she lives in Paris, but... (laughs) (laughs) The only place in France. (laughs) The only place. (laughs) So yeah, so those those are the ones I think that come to my mind. I will say that when when you were asking the question, I thought you were going to ask me what biases I've seen myself come with as I'm reading. And, and that, the first thing that came to mind, of course, was Dumbledore, which you and I have had a lot of discussions about. <laughs> <laughs> How I tend to sometimes have a much more critical view of Dumbledore than he probably deserves. <laughs> and so uh, there have definitely been some readings. I, I think that, that I, I've, I've kind of backed off a lot of that, especially through these great discussions where we're looking at nuance in many, many ways. But I definitely have had a couple of readings where, where I've been like, oh, here comes Dumbledore again, refusing <laughs> to tell Harry that he's planning to kill him or have him die a couple of years from now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that, that, that might be my own, my own bias that I, I think this show has helped me to work through in, in, in this, in the way that I've, I think gained a much better nuanced understanding and engagement with all the characters in the books. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. But what were you thinking for, for your question on this? So I got to raise the flag for Slytherin. Oh, yeah. My last read through, I, and I, I didn't, I stopped at book three, so I haven't continued on for about a year. But I noticed that in Prisoner of Azkaban, during a Care of Magical Creatures class, the whole class there cheered and applauded Harry's interaction with Buckbeak, mm. except Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle. But those were the only ones that didn't. So that means all of the rest of the Slytherin class is cheering for Harry. Mm. Then you go to <laughs> Lee Jordan's commentary mm. at the Quidditch matches and how completely biased it is Mm -hmm. and somehow that's allowed like mcgonagall sure will chastise him for it but he should be taken off that role entirely if it happens more than once that's not okay to be commentating to the entire school and be biased in how you're even saying what is happening in the game Mm -hmm. and it in that match for some reason the whole school is cheering on Gryffindor but like that's it was in the exact same book that most of the third year Slytherins were cheering for Harry in the Care of Magical Creatures class and it's just like what is happening here you know sure you have some not great Slytherins (laughs) it seems like the Quidditch team itself also is down for violent play style too so like they're not great but that's also not the that's the referee's job not the commentators yeah exactly 
but again, I wouldn't necessarily be convinced that none of the other people on the teams are not doing some of these same things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's just Harry's like, ah, oh, they're doing this to us. Oh, the Weasley <laughs> twins did what? Oops. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> but yeah, just to, to see this bias and to see how Slytherins are treated as just this monolithic group of Death Eaters mm. when that cannot be true it's like that that's not possible and we don't we rarely get a view of a slytherin that didn't at least have some time with the death eaters yeah you know we have someone like slughorn but then we obviously have a lot of characters that would be in slytherin and should have been in slytherin (laughs) like dumbledore and percy and stuff who obviously would not have been death leaders but that that stood out to me more like how biased this all was and and it it made me wonder about things like even when McGonagall finds Draco in the first book and he's saying no like they have a dragon and Mm. they're coming up here and they're gonna and she's just like that's the most ridiculous thing I can't believe you would you know lie about this you're getting detention and he wasn't wrong on that he was dragons exist McGonagall you live in a a magic school (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) um and so, yeah, I just kind of wonder how those biases affect those Slytherin students and even are maybe polarizing in a way that makes them more likely to turn to mm. violence or some sort of group where they can get their own or, you know, whatever it would be. Um, we see obviously saw how Snape was treated. Mm. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just interesting. I mean, not that being mistreated gives anyone the... A license to be bigoted of course <laughs> but it yeah it, it is interesting to think about the interactions between things yeah yeah definitely and, and that kind of leads me also to to another thing that i was thinking about more recently too kind of the relationship that a person would have with prejudiced people and how that would influence whether they would accept or tolerate or reject those views. Hmm. A clear example would be Dobby versus Creature. Hmm. And you have Dobby who is treated abysmally and he rejects all of the pure blood. Fooey, we'll say. That's the word I'm going to use. <laughs> and then you have Creature, who was treated, besides by Sirius, was treated very well mm. and, like, loved so much by Regulus. And, you know, it seemed like the rest of the family really treated him well. And then he's touting these pure blood views. And not that I think that there's always a correlation like that i just i i wonder what the influence would be whether you look up to these people or whether you despise or defy these people and and how they use those views to hurt you or people you love because you know as soon as harry is compassionate to creature and listens to creature and honors the memory of of this person the creature loved creature's loyalty changes to him not that he changed all his views and Mm -hmm. stuff but he at least now he you know he wants to fight for harry with harry and you know that's a big shift totally yeah that's a really really interesting point well 
I guess we should move into our missed opportunities. What do you have for me? Yeah, so my missed opportunity is a element of bias that we've brought up a couple times so far. This is, is one thing that I'm really changing my perspective on because I don't think that the werewolf metaphor is used particularly well in these books. And you're talking about the metaphor that it's like AIDS? Yeah, because I, th- okay. I think that that, that that seems to be pretty pretty well established, that this was an analog for, for AIDS, and, and Lupin, as being a werewolf, was an analog for someone who suffers from AIDS in, in book three. And I, I think, and this is something that I've definitely been influenced by some of the discourse that's happening online right now uh, about the ways that J.K. Rowling has been extremely problematic, certainly online <laughs> right now, where she's saying really hateful things to the transgender community. But mm-hmm. also people have brought up some of the ways that perhaps these kind of conservative views made themselves manifest in her books. And this is one that, that really kind of has been sticking with me because if you take this, this premise of being a werewolf like being someone with AIDS and, and Lupin as the first character and the, really the main character that we see having a really uh, important kind of journey with that other than perhaps Bill, both of their journeys really are ones that when you start thinking about what this metaphor says... What does it say about gay men, frankly, in particular, yeah. or people who have AIDS? Because both of them are given the werewolf, I don't know if it's not a virus, I guess, the ma- magical... Uh, <laughs> uh, lycanthropy. Li- thank you. They are given lycanthropy from Fenrir Greyback, whose actual mission is to turn as many people, especially children, as possible. And that, I think, does bring <laughs> up... <laughs> no, very, very bad metaphor. So many awful things about the way that, uh, in particular, during the AIDS crisis and its height in the 1980s and 90s, gay men mm-hmm. were were talked about as these people who were, yeah, predators and who were dangerous and immoral and all these these other awful, awful ways of, of talking about this and that this was something that's malicious and that this is spread through malicious acts and that that i think is is really one of the missed opportunities and and your your note earlier about how ron responds when he hears that lupin is a werewolf he he Mm -hmm. not only yells it at him like a slur but he also even though his leg is broken and mangled backs away as far away as he can get from him it's like you can't touch someone who has this affliction which Mm -hmm. again is has so often been been use as a way to to dehumanize those who have AIDS. And yeah, so so I, I can't say this is an original thought that I had. I definitely read this online from some of the really smart writers who are out there talking about this, and, and it really spoke to me. So it's definitely something I wanted to kind of bring forward. It's really what I couldn't get out of my mind when I was thinking about the missed opportunity when it comes to biases that we see here in, in Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning that to me. It's obviously, uh, as you were talking about, problematic in in those ways i think it maybe could be interesting if if it's looked at not that it is a metaphor for the aids epidemic but it's a metaphor for how people were treating people Mm. with aids and how they viewed people with aids because you you hear about these horrible thoughts and you're just like what is even happening like oh this man is gay then maybe he's a pedophile too or something just like preposterous like that Mm -hmm. and you could see that with 
Fenrir, right? Mm -hmm. When, first of all, we don't actually know very much about Fenrir, right? We hear things about him, but mostly the people talking about him are not people who are werewolves as well. Obviously, Lupin did a bit, but Mm -hmm. I mean, Lupin fights with his own self in terms of being a werewolf and having shame over it or wanting to hide it and it being an isolating thing for him. And so I think there could be some interesting ideas there if we're looking at the problematic ways in which people viewed viewed or currently view AIDS or men who have sex with men. But yeah, obviously a lot more would need to be done there to build into it how it's problematic that they're seeing it this way and that's not actually true you know um totally yeah i i think that it would have been just as powerful if ron in the last book said hey this is how i reacted to you and i'm so sorry that must have really hurt and maybe after talking with bill or something like that like if he had that same kind of overcoming his bias mm -hmm. for werewolves and and that being explicit on on page as he did with house elves I think yeah. that would have been that would have been great and totally could have been a good message. Yeah, uh, that would or at least have been a, really good. A better one because Fenrir at least is still really problematic. But For we don't sure. have that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and isn't that the thing? Like how some guys will like freak out, like, "Oh my god, I just learned that you were gay. That means mm-hmm. I can't spend time with you anymore, or whatever." Like some homophobic rot. I just have to use other other words <laughs> instead of my usual expletives. Yeah, but no, no, good good point to bring up for sure. Yeah. Thanks. What, what's your And obviously people who, you know, uh, it would be very interesting to hear from men who actually are HIV positive on this issue or deeply involved in the gay community and, and how they read it and what they feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what's your missed opportunity? So my missed opportunity is that we just don't get to see enough of like how biases or prejudices in the series are intersectional Hmm. there's just there's so many things that could have been done you know my mind just automatically went to not that i would want luna lovegood to be written in any other way because she's amazing but (laughs) if she was the way she is but also a muggle-born you know what would that look like would ravenclaw's have been nicer to her because a lot of them wouldn't have known muggle Mm. conspiracy theories or (laughs) ufo sightings or you know whatever the things that she would be convinced are true that aren't necessarily true (laughs) um or would they have just been biased against her in a different way because she's muggle-born you know Mm -hmm. like i just that would have been really interesting or reading hermione as a black girl is is that why we see more discrimination towards her than towards someone like Colin, who's mm-hmm. also muggle-born? Or did he have discrimination happen to him too, but we just didn't see it because Harry was always trying to avoid him. And <laughs> uh, you know, he actually liked Hermione. So yeah, I just, I think that it would be so interesting to see where race and pure blood half blood muggle-born or ability or gender you know all of these how they would intersect to make prejudice and bias look different 
instead of just if you are muggle-born then you should die or be locked up or you know not allowed into our society but who would be allowed you know Mm. (laughs) does Voldemort only accept half-blood men but wouldn't accept a half-blood woman to be mm. a death eater. You know, th- these types of questions, I think, would be fascinating. And I, I think in in some ways, you know, we've which we've been talking about a lot in this episode, the books do a really good job of, of making a lot of layers of just society, but not having those layers intersect in ways that the layers in our societies do. Just, yeah, it's a missed opportunity to make it a more full world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, always down for more intersectionality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I guess we should wrap up. So what is your takeaway? I think my takeaway is that I hope my, my next reading of the book and my and the next time that we have an episode talking about Harry Potter, I want to I wanna be a little bit more critical of, of Harry and Harry's biases and the ways that Harry himself can go along with really harmful societal norms. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that when we were talking about the the Quidditch World Cup, we see the way the wizards are constantly putting memory charms on the muggles. And we know yeah. how harmful memory charms can be to wizards or muggles. And we see this, this muggle character who before he and his family get terrorized by the death eaters is already being constantly his knowledge taken away from him and harry doesn't say anything so much of the book i think harry's great because he's this outsider perspective where he can see a little bit more of the injustices that ron for example doesn't see because he's this outsider perspective but we also see these elements where where he goes along with it as well and so i want to be a little bit more critical of where Harry, even as a narrator, is not engaging with these these problematic aspects of their society as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? What's your takeaway? Yeah, I think for me, having started out the episode looking at Hagrid's biases and mm. how he's feeding those to Harry, like you were just saying, yeah, Harry isn't saying, um, excuse me, you should not be putting memory <laughs> charms on muggles. But, you know, he's had mostly terrible experiences with muggles. Mm-hmm. I mean, if his family is his main interaction with the world, because he didn't even have any friends, because he wasn't even allowed to have any friends, because Dudley saw to that, I think he still rejects anti-muggle mm-hmm. prejudices. But he also rejects Hagrid's mm. ideas. You know, I love that, you know, Hagrid, this person that he, he looks up to and was the first person to come save him from this horrible, abusive home, he's feeding these really problematic, prejudiced views to him, like, at the age of 11 or 12. And Harry just, he still doesn't believe them. You know, he really gives everyone a chance from risking his life to save Draco in the Room of Requirement to even giving Voldemort the opportunity to surrender and, like, change Mm. in in the end. Yeah, I think that Harry just doesn't believe blanket statements or, like, fatalistic ideas about people. And I really admire that 
Mm. because I can have a hard time with that myself. And I think if you read the books closely, there is a, a message about the real danger of bias and prejudice and, and not approaching people as real, nuanced, living, breathing, individual humans. Mm. Even the side that fights against oppression, but we still have these problematic aspects and it's just it's so easy to keep biases as long as we, we don't personally interact with others or, mm -hmm. or, or those we oppose I, at least in my experience mm -hmm. i can be like that you know i i despise blank and that if i i meet somebody who is blank <laughs> it, it gets trickier I, I may still fundamentally disagree with them and i may still say okay that is a racist and a homophobic thought and that's not okay but it's not the same blanket statement that i could put over just you know, like hagrid like oh this person is rotten to the core mm -hmm. and there's nothing you could do to change them or that there's no way they will ever change themselves i guess would be a better way to say it yeah so in this way i i should try to be a little more carry <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which is really hard right now <laughs> in election season. <laughs> it is. Maybe I'll try to be like Harry in a couple months. <laughs> in a, yeah, a month. <laughs> <laughs> Might be harder to be like Harry then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> Especially when, yeah, people are, people are terrorizing those who are already oppressed. It's, it's real bad. So, yeah. but I mean, Harry was the victim of, of so much of that and died multiple times for it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that should probably do it for our discussion of Harry Potter. What will we be discussing next week? Okay. So next we are going to be returning to the Lord of the Rings and we are going to be looking at it through the theme of friendship. Oh, that's going to be real cute. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find the links to our social media and our website in the show notes. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lines. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.